0: I'm Hugh James, Brav Ambassador and Climate Educator, and I'll be your host for these Material Facts Special Edition episodes. In this episode, we delve into the big problems facing the outdoor industry, explore its current state globally, and examine its role in the larger conversation around fashion, apparel, gear and sustainability. The industry is grappling with challenges such as environmental sustainability, including carbon emissions and waste management, as well as social responsibility encompassing fair labour practices and supply chain transparency. And as outdoor apparel and gear become fashion statements and lifestyle choices, it's crucial that the industry address these issues and take a leading role in creating a more sustainable and ethical future. So let's dive in. We're joined by Debbie Reed, who is Head of Corporate Communications and CSR at Equip Outdoor. Debbie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi Hugh, nice to see you.
0: And you. So... You've been uh, in this industry a while now. You've seen lots of things. We're just going to start off with some really, really simple intros uh, for our audience into the outdoor industry and CSR, corporate social responsibility in general. What are the big problems in the outdoor industry going forward, and how can we fix it all?
1: Yeah, let's start with something light, shall we? hear? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but what, what you know, the outdoor, you know, this podcast is is about um, fixing things in the outdoor industry that we see that there are problems. What what are those problems that we can see?
1: Yeah, I think um, it's it's almost whether it's a problem or an opportunity, but I think in the outdoor industry, we're really fortunate in that we're all engaged in what's happening outside. We're engaged in the climate. We're engaged in our own enjoyment of it. And in a way that brings it all much closer. So when we see the changes that are happening out there, it becomes a lot more personal, whether that's because it's what you do in your spare time or because it's how your business is run. Um, So one of the things that I think is becoming a really important challenge is that we're all seen to be acting, making decisions and reacting to what we're seeing out there. So minimising our impact, minimising our products and and doing the right thing with the data we have as we develop things. Um, I think where that becomes a challenge is that... um, it's complicated. There's a lot of language out there. There's a lot of terminology out there. Everyone's trying to do their own thing. If we're not careful, people act in isolation, and we're much better when we work together. Um, so I think if we're not careful, we're all trying to do too much, um, and we're not always doing the right thing. But the fact that everyone's trying to act is a is a real positive.
0: So you you journey to well, you spend your time in CSR corporate social responsibility. So you are, yeah. you have a responsibility, um, to society, I suppose. Um, you go to lots of different places, talks to, to lots of different people about these problems, places like trade shows uh, and the likes, what are the the big kind of problems and ideas and things coming out of those shows?
1: Yeah. At the minute, um, th- there's probably a, a consistent theme that's been bubbling around for probably the last two, three, four years. Um, and a lot of it is about how we talk about this area. Um, consumers, quite rightly, are engaged with you know, corporate social responsibility or sustainability or sustainable products. They want to know what is the most sustainable. Is this one better than this one? Um, you know, ha- how, how do I know what I'm buying? And and what's happening is that people are using all sorts of technology, um, all sorts of language in order to try and make their products seem better or look better. And and we've seen words like eco and green and sustainable and planet friendly and and all of these things. And, And I'm not just talking about the outdoor industry, but, you know, across sort of any sort of marketing and communication activity. And one of the things that's becoming really apparent is that we have to get smarter around that language. We have to make sure that we're clear and transparent to consumers. It's not just because it's the right thing to do, but we've actually now got legislation coming down the line from sort of the EU, but also um, in, you know, we're seeing it across in the US as well around how we talk about things, how we communicate it, and just making sure that we're not misleading consumers. Um, And any claims anyone makes about recycled content or, you know, what chemicals are in those products can actually be substantiated. And I think that's making a lot of people nervous, um, but equally, it's something which we have to do, and it can be really complicated finding your way through all the legislation that's coming our way.
0: And the the things that you see, and those kind of problems you've seen at the, the trade shows, the things that people talk about, what's like, what's the zeitgeist currently like? What are they talking about? How has that changed in uh, in the last few years? And how much do you miss well, the time when we were looking? the biggest problem was how light the crampon is.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and and to be honest, how light light the crampon is still really important. (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I think, yeah, one of the biggest changes I'm seeing is you can't just say um, contains recycled content. Um, and you know, we've all come, you'll see it out there now, you could go into sort of any grocery supermarket, you could go into any consumer goods store and there'll be a logo or a badge that just says recycled or contains recycled. We have to be more specific than that. We have to talk about whether if, you know, I'll use a different industry, if you're talking about, um... Your soft drinks, you can't just say contains recycled plastic. You would have to say whether the bottle is recycled or whether the cap is or even just the label. You have to be much clearer about it. It's the same in the outdoor industry. We can't just say this product contains recycled materials. We have to specify whether it's an insulation or whether it's the outer or the liner. And I think it's much nicer where we used to be, maybe three, five years ago, where you could put a green logo on a product and say this one's sustainable. But the reality is, probably the most sustainable product you, um, there is, is the one that you already own. Um, and second to that, it's buying the one which has the lowest impact, but how do you measure that lowest impact? That's sort of the biggest challenge we all have.
0: I feel like the outdoor industry has a, has a role to play in this because we are connected to the outdoor world. Um, and just spend a lot of time there. You hear a lot of athletes say it's our playground, but everyone lives in it. We're, we're part of, part of it. Um, but why on on the larger scale, are the outdoor industry the people to to make these to have these conversations? because you know at these trade shows, there are now big parts of it that is just around how do we make it more sustainable going forward?
1: yeah, i I think you're you're right there in that it feels as though at times the outdoor industry is is leading things. Um, it's partly because as as I mentioned, we're we're almost closer to it. we're we're stood in the mountains, we're you know, appreciating, you know, the beauty of the mountains, the quality of the glaciers. We're maybe seeing the ice melt that we're not used to. Um, and it's kind of not just as people in the industry, but our consumers are doing this as well. And what then happens is they, it, our consumers are educated. We can never underestimate them. They understand you know, fluorocarbons and microfibers and they understand hydrostatic head and all the things that I didn't know until I really... And enjoy talking in- about them as well. Yeah, exactly. So for <laughs> us to pretend that our consumers don't understand the impact our products have, you know, if, if we're not careful in the way that we manufacture them or where we manufacture them or the materials we use, we have to give that information in in an educated and intelligent way to our consumers because they are they're demanding it or they're demanding it of their retailers, we sell into those retailers. So there's a chain there, which is great, we should all be working together, but we need to make sure that all the right people have got all the information they need when they make that purchase choice. And the purchase choice could be driven by technical details. Is it the lightest? Is it the most waterproof? Is it the most breathable? But depending on your own value set, could also be driven by does it contain animal products? Does it contain um, recycled materials? Does it contain fluorocarbons? So we have to give that information.
0: And what we find is that, you know, especially in the outdoor world, the, the technical performance has to come close to the top, if not the top, because you can't, when you're in an alpine environment, when you are sleeping on a glacier, for example, you can't compromise on that value and and price point is always going to be up there but you know after after those kind of things sustainability is something that people are talking about the consumers are demanding it's if i've got two jackets or two sleeping bags and one is the same price point as the other and one is as technical as the other one of course the next thing i'm going to go for is um how much recycled materials in it or how much can uh this add to or can i have some way for it for end of life or the recycle down etc. Um, so I suppose it's a big thing for consumers now as well.
1: Absolutely um, and it's something that we won't compromise on so whilst we will always try and find um, the lowest impact materials we will always look for where we can the most recycled content or increase the recycled content we won't compromise on that and we actually sometimes have to make that decision about from a performance point of view sometimes we will use a virgin fabric because it's right for the performance of that product. And and you're totally right there. The consumer then can make their own choice about, do I need the high-end performance or do I want the sustainability credentials? Um, We carried out some research last summer and I think we showed within that research that once you've ticked off price, quality, brand reputation, actually sustainability and sustainability criteria is, is often fourth on consumers' lists but when you've got everything else right. And I think consumers are looking for brands that they can trust to get those things right. And they then almost assume that those sustainability criteria are being taken care of.
0: Yeah, and that's a a huge thing. There's a certain amount of responsibility, social responsibility that the brand has, and then you can give it to the, the, um, the end user after that. I think that quite a lot of time we've seen over the years is that, you know, will leave all that responsibility to the to the consumer. There's you know some new legislation coming through at the moment in, in certain places that you know in in Wales we're looking at becoming a deforestation free nation where everything that's sold in supermarkets will become from a place that's not been deforested to create that um, that that product. Uh, next year, peat will be uh, not allowed in um, in compost that's sold in garden centres. So there's a certain amount of okay, we can leave it up to the customer, but there's also a certain amount that brands have responsibility. So what are the the, the big things that you are really happy with at the moment that that Rab are doing to, to up that social responsibility?
1: Yeah, I think there's a, there's a few things. It's interesting what you say there about the activity in Wales, because one of the things we're seeing is almost that those national changes. So we're seeing things happening in regions that aren't necessarily happening across whole nations. Um, so things happening in France that aren't happening across the whole of the EU, things happening in California and the state of Maine that are outside the whole of the U S it keeps brands like us absolutely having to keep thinking and reevaluating what we're doing. And actually when I think then about what we are doing, I mean, the, the, the things that are sort of helping us drive that and, and keep ahead of it is, um, sort of firstly communicating it effectively. So we issued a sustainability report just, uh, where are we now, just last month. Um, And within that, it's our chance to pause, reflect on where we've got to, and also look at what else we need to do. But that becomes almost our communication tool to our, certainly to our retailers, but consumers, if they want to go to that level of detail. So at least we can share, this is where we are today with the level of data and information we have today. And tomorrow it'll change and it's different to where we were last year, but this is where we are today. So I think for me that's one thing. The other is continue to to grow and develop the stuff that we know is right and we're absolutely good at and is part of our integrity and our DNA. So things like the Rab Service Centre. So that's always been part of who we are. We've continued to grow it, develop it. We're rolling out it, we're rolling it out across the globe. So we've now got one in the EU, we've got one in Canada, we've got one in the US. But for us, you know, going back to the most sustainable product you have is the one you already own. Um, That allows us to keep that message out there with consumers and let them know that you can care and repair for products and, you know, and, and, and provide hints and tips of how to do that. So I think doing what you can do really, really well is super important. The other thing is actually working together across the business. Um, I mean, you've mentioned it. I've got the most crazy, ridiculous long job title, which no one fully understands. Um, And I'm the person who sits here and talks to you. But actually, beneath me, I've got a team of like super subject matter experts who are looking at everything from carbon data to um, labor management um, and factory information overseas. And they absolutely know, you know, way more than I do about these things. But outside just of my team, we've got a whole business and every person in the business is playing their part. So whether that's you know the, the team in the service centre, whether it's the people sourcing from factories, the development people, the fabric guys out there looking for new fabrics and more recycled content, everyone's playing their part. And I think for me, that's almost, it, it's not even a secret. This is just how we all have to be to make this agenda count.
0: And I suppose then the the one that i'm most proud of you guys uh for and the the thing that we you talk about is the material facts That you know you put all that that you've just mentioned from the reports to all the teams and everything um risk doing all this research and finding out all this stuff and you've got to distill it down onto a little card that's not very big um on a product that must be a hugely difficult task uh to do so how did that come about that doesn't seem like it's something that that would be easy to get off the ground.
1: Um, yes, you're right, and yes, you're right. <laughs> it was. Um, <laughs> it's it's an awful lot of work to produce um, our material facts tables, um, and the material fact table is essentially uh, the best way to describe it. It's like an ingredients label that you would see, you know, on any you know food item. So it's black and white, pretty simple. There's no fancy characters. There's no you know, fancy fonts or logos, it simply tells you each of the criteria, and then it has a percentage next to it. And the criteria and the percentage is about, at the moment, it's about recycled content, about fluorocarbons, where the product was manufactured, and then the small print, which is, you know, how we've calculated it by product and and by weight. Um, it's super simple. But you look at it now, and you wonder how it took us two, two and a half years to come up with a table that essentially is exactly the same as every piece of food packaging that you've ever bought. Um, but we we knew we had a we knew we had a challenge actually because we were constantly being asked which is your most sustainable product, um, and we would have retailers and consumers saying um, you know, or. I'm updating our website I'm in store I want to put a shelf edge label on I just need to know which are your most sustainable products so that I can put a logo on them or put a a point of sale on them just just tell me which it is and it's impossible to do because I don't know what your value set is I don't know what you're considering so we spent an awful lot of time probably going down the wrong routes um looking at logos looking at colors looking at how we rank products and, you know, I mean, the the methodologies we had would, would probably wouldn't blow your mind to you, but blew my mind in terms of if if a product triggers one of these indicators and one of these, and then it takes three of these, then we'll give it a logo and we'll call it this. And we spent a lot of time doing that. And, and I think I presented it to our senior team a number of times. Each time we realized it wasn't quite right. It didn't work. Um, we looked at color coding it. Well, let's make all the best products green and, and the rest can be amber and then the others could be red, but then who's going to decide what's amber and what's red and why will anyone ever buy a red product? So we, we went through all sorts of criteria and then, um, and one of the team actually went to, um, the local supermarket at lunchtime and came back and put a, a, a chocolate bar on my desk and said, why don't we just do what these guys do? And we looked at that ingredients label and thought, well, actually that's what we're trying to do, but we're trying to be too clever. So we almost had to take it as far as we could in order to wind it back again and turn it into a simple black and white table where we purely put the facts on there. We don't try and rank it. We don't try and color code it. We don't try and and bold the things we think you should look at. We just put it in black and white. And again, going back to a food ingredients label, People look at those for all sorts of reasons. Some people are looking at calories. Some people are looking at sugar content. Some are looking at fat. Some are looking to find out if it's got barley in and they can't have. It's up to you as a consumer to choose what you want to look at. And that's exactly what the material facts table is. It's up to you as a consumer to choose what's important to you. We'll just give you the information. So, yeah, it's taken us a really, really long time to get to a, a black and white table. Thanks.
0: <laughs> and I suppose. Sticking with that that food analogy, that sometimes I remember posting a picture of me eating a chocolate bar in the mountains, uh, and someone posted on it uh, or just commented on it saying, "That's ridiculous. That has almost no calories in it." And it was a, it was actually I, I just picked it up. It was a low calorie chocolate bar, and I was like, "Of course, I like, I don't need this in the mountains. I need the calories for this." So even when you know you look at something and go, "Actually, that's that's bad." It would be bad if you were in a certain situation, but actually it would be good in a different situation because you need the calories for it. And I suppose having that information allows someone to go, actually, if I'm in this situation, walking down the high street, then I can have this. If I'm in this situation where I'm in the mountains, then I can have this. And it's two different uh, end use cases, I suppose.
1: Exactly that. Um, And you look at something like you take one of our insulated jackets Um, Some of them will have virgin down, some will have recycled down, some will have um, synthetic insulation. Um, And what the material facts table then does is we can pull out the recycled content in each of those. Um, You can calculate the weight from it. So From that, you would be able to make your own choices. But I'm not going to dictate to you which is the most important to you. Um, And and as I mentioned earlier, some people might not want to purchase anything that they know has down in, which is absolutely fine, but that's a personal choice for them. Whereas other people might only purchase down because to them, it's the best warmth to weight ratio. They're going on a high end expedition. It's the only product they want. Well, again, it's like your chocolate bar. It's the right product for the right time for you.
0: And I suppose then that there's that balancing act between what responsibility that the brand has and what responsibility the, the end consumer has and how do you make sure that the flow of information between those two is correct. And I suppose that only comes to education, to uh, communication between the two as well, um, podcasts, fil- films, um, material facts on the, on the product itself, the labels that are on the products, trade shows, all that kind of stuff is to aid you saying, we're doing the best that we can to give you this information, um, and it's up to you then to to use that and be as responsible as we are, yeah. or are we, as we are always striving to be. Because you know, there's always we can always do better.
1: Yeah, and it's it's almost going back to that um, that sustainability report piece. Is the material facts table is a snapshot in time. So this is what that product was when we developed that product in that season, but it allows us to now use that material facts table internally to look at improvements we can make in that product. So actually in a subsequent season, you might find the material facts table changes because we do find a source of recycled fabric that can replace the previous fabric we have. So the one in autumn, winter 23, making figures up here, might have 63% recycled content overall. By the time we get to autumn, winter 24, we might have increased the recycled content to 79%. So we're we're actually going to be able to see iterations as we develop our um, products as well. But it also gives our development guys focus areas for them to look at. So if they can find a new fabric, suddenly they can look at maybe half a dozen different products that they could apply that new fabric to and improve the material facts data from it.
0: It still sounds like loads of work uh was it difficult to get the rest of the organization on board um and the designers and everyone else to kind of to put all that footwork in and just make sure that everything well go out and find the 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 chain of materials back to to their roots and to find out every little piece and every little stitch of every jacket was it difficult to get them to get them on board with it?
1: um yes and no (laughs) i'll be a politician um it was a it was a lot of work i'm not going to pretend it wasn't it was a lot of work because as you as you point out we have gone down to a level of detail that we've never communicated externally before so we've gone down to zips to trims to you know the various bits of insulation if there's a pocket that's in a different fabric we've included that Um, we, you know, we would count the amount of zip pools there were on products to be able to calculate that all of that had to be weighed. We had to go back to source to find out which contained recycled content, which didn't, um, some, some elements, um, like an elastic cord, the outer might've been recycled, but the inner might still be virgin. Well, we calculated the weight of that. So was it a lot of work? Yeah. (laughs) Um, did we nearly break the business? No. Um, but it, it was, there was a lot of people involved and it took more time, I think than any of us had appreciated it words, but, and going back to, you know, this is more than just me and, and my team, almost every person within the business, certainly within development design, even within our marketing function, uh, within our operations teams have all had a part to play in this. And when we started talking through what we were doing and why rather than back away, look in the other direction or go and find an email that was far more important to deal with. We actually had people coming forward and asking for their products to be involved and what did they need to do and how could they do it better. And when we first made the commitment about delivering material facts tables, we were very cautious. We knew how much work it would be. And I think we committed initially to only do insulation. So our insulated jackets and sleeping bags And actually what we have ready for autumn winter 23 is all of our apparel items with the exception of accessories, um, including sleeping bags, are all ready to have their material facts table when they go to market this autumn winter because the teams lent into it with such enthusiasm and passion. And we now have a roadmap for all our equipment to come online next autumn winter. So the teams just lent into it and the categories that we knew we couldn't do straight away because we did have to do it in order and we did have to think it through, those teams actually, you know, they, they want their products to have material facts tables on it. They want to be able to have the same transparency and they want to be able to talk about their products in the same way. So where I thought we were going to have problems with resource, it was almost the other way around. We had so many people wanting to put so much into it that it almost causes a different problem in that, you know, we need to pause. We need to we need to double check it. We need to stress test it. We need to make sure that people understand it. But it's a great problem that we've had to in order to get to the stage we're now at.
0: Is it? Are, are you happy with the stage that that you are currently? Is it? Um, I mean, it's rolling out. You should be <laughs> you should be pretty happy with it. Uh, but have consumers? Have, have any consumers seen it? Have other people in the industry seen it? What are the some of the feedback that you've had? Is it going to change in the future? It's been through many iterations already. Are you happy with where it is?
1: Yeah, where we've got to at the minute, we're really comfortable with. We would stand behind everything we've done, how we've done it, the level of granularity, the level of rigor we've put behind it. So I think to get where we've got to today, I'm super happy. Um, Some of the best feedback I've had has actually been from our sales guys. Um, And sometimes, you know, going back to the point that sustainability can be really complicated, me talking to our sales teams about... Carbon accounting, social impact reporting—it it sometimes is a bit complicated and it's a bit difficult, um, and it's not front of their mind when they're speaking to um, retailers. But actually, give them a material facts table and they get it, they understand it, they can communicate it. It's simple, um, and the retailers get it from that as well. So we're actually finding a huge amount of buy-in from our sales guys that was probably an unexpected benefit. We we knew it was important for them, but the fact that they've adopted it at the pace they have. And also recognising that retailers are actually under the same pressure we are. So retailers are really being challenged about how they communicate effectively to consumers, um, how they don't risk greenwashing by communicating the wrong thing, how they're able to substantiate claims that brands are making. Suddenly we're giving it to them on a plate So we are finding that the retailers we've engaged with are really supportive. And we know there's other brands out there who are wrestling with the same challenges we are. One of the call outs we've done is that we want to work with other brands who will work with us in order to develop the the next stages of this. I've got um, a very long list of the next categories that I want to use on material facts So at the minute we've used um, fluorocarbons and recycled content, but I've got another three or four things that I could put on there tomorrow if I had the time and the resource, but I want to do it the right way and actually having other brands working with us and almost stress testing against some different product categories, I think will only help this become more robust and have more rigor to it than just us continuing to develop it on our own.
0: Yeah, and you know, one thing we we always teach uh, athletes in our in our climate communications classes and and things like that is the use of factivism so instead of going out on social media and being hyperbolic in things that they say about climate change to stick within the facts and you know a lot of time facts speak for themselves and at the moment with climate change um and the environment truth is much weirder and and um a more crazy than than hyperbole could ever be so having those facts, you know, for the sales team, for everyone else within, within RAB to say, well, these facts speak for themselves, like here's, here's this jacket and here's this jacket. So we'll just compare the two. And I suppose it's good to have that between RAB products. It would be even better to have that within the entire industry to be able to say, you know, can I, here's the fact sheet for, for this one, here's a fact sheet for a completely different brand, and maybe I can compare the two there. Is that something that you're striving for or is it gonna stay within RAB? I
1: I would love us to get to that stage. What I think we're lacking at the moment is an industry standard um, for how we all talk about this data. And at the moment, what we're finding is, we've, it's taken us two, two and a half years to get to this simple black and white table. We know there's other people out there developing similar alternative, probably equally as good standards. But the problem is we're all doing that independently. Um, I think we should be working together. um, And we need to make sure that what we're developing works across brands. Um, So our products are essentially synthetic, highly technical. I would love to know how the material facts table works on more natural products. How does it work on shoe wear? How does it work on equipment outside of packs? And I don't know because I haven't got the resource and time to develop that. But rather than us all developing our tables, what we're suggesting as RAB is that we all work together. This isn't a RAB material facts table. This is a material facts table. And if we can work together to develop it and create a standard for the industry, then actually we can get back to improving the products, minimizing our operational impact, minimizing the impact of our products, looking at solutions for end of life. All of those big challenges that we've all got sat on our to-do lists that currently we're not getting to because we're all working out how to beat the legislation that's coming in and how to communicate this complicated data in a simple way. We should be trying to work together on it.
0: And I suppose otherwise it just it just doesn't work. Like if I'm looking at two jackets that says how much carbon has been generated to create that, and I and they, but they from different fact lists. Like one might include everything from the initial generation of that virgin material in terms of carbon and the electricity in that factory. One might use the travel then it was it, that it was transported between the factories and between the end, uh, the end of sale. Um, and one just might look at just the transport or just the generation. They might not think about one thing or the other. So that gives a, a benefit to the one that doesn't include that stuff. So I suppose a standard across everything it just makes sense.
1: I totally agree. Um, We haven't yet put greenhouse gas emissions on our material facts table for that reason. I would love to. um, But every year we increase our scope of greenhouse gas emissions in that we measure more and more of our impact, which is a positive thing to do. Um, However, the more you measure, the more you count. And therefore, the impact is that your carbon emission per product looks higher. Um, I wouldn't want to put that figure on there, compare it to someone who maybe isn't measuring as much scope as us. But equally, there's probably someone else out there who's measuring even more than we are. So we have this is why for me, I think we have to get to a standard. We have to get to a methodology. We do need it almost third party verified so that we can all compare it so that as a consumer, you can walk into an outlet and see this product's got this percentage recycled content, this product's got fluorocarbons here, this product is manufactured in a factory that's got renewable energy, and this product has got a percentage of carbon embedded within it. Um, And at the minute, because we're all developing things in isolation, it's everyone's independent interpretation of that data, which I I think if we're not careful, we're going to risk confusing the consumer again, Um, was trying to make it more simple for them.
0: And I suppose one of the, one of the good things about, um, the outdoor industry taking on this fight is that, that a a lot of, um, outdoor brands are not at the same scale that your big top fashion brands are. You're not pumping out t-shirts, um, at the scale of like 10 per second or, or, or whatever they do, um you can be a little bit more thoughtful. Now, that's not to say that the outdoor industry isn't huge here, both in, here in the UK and in, in the US, um, even as a percentage of, of GDP. It is a big part of the outdoor industry. And then when you add on top of that, the, the tourism industry and where you would wear this clothing and everything else, that's more on top. So what I'm trying to say is that why should the outdoor industry take on this fight when there are bigger fish out there?
1: Uh, Is a great question. (laughs) Um, I think one of the things that we've always done at sort of RAB and Equip is we've always made decisions and then acted on them. So when we have data and information, we've responded to that. And whether that's the way we design or develop our products, whether it's when we identify new fabrics, whether it's based on our carbon emissions, we've always taken data and acted on it. And I think we're lucky in that we are quite lean we can move at pace, and we can turn things around pretty quickly. Um, and going back to the points we talked about earlier, we, we're, really, we're close to the consumer, we're close to the outdoors. So we see the impact of these things, which is why we're so motivated to, to, to look at these areas that we're addressing. I think the outdoor industry is the same. The outdoor industry is relatively lean, it's relatively small, it's made up of players similar to us who can act at reasonable pace, and we're all close to the end consumer and the outdoors. So we can all make those changes together. It's a very small industry in that we, we communicate, we collaborate a lot. We work together in lots of forums and, and lots of working groups. And you, you touched on the trade shows. Uh, the trade shows essentially are three days of chatting with people about what we're all doing. So it's in, in areas like this, it's very non-competitive. So I think that's why the outdoor industry is able to make some of these decisions and move forward. And I think that's probably different to where maybe some of the big fashion brands are, Um, is that they're, you know, I I don't know that industry, but they probably can't move at pace as uh, that we can. Maybe they've not got the same consumer pressure that we have. Maybe they're not as close to the environment as we are and they're not seeing the impact of it. Um, But I think it's within our integrity and the values of the players in the outdoor industry that we feel and need to act and do what we can again with that information that we have. So, um, I I think that's what's driving us.
0: And it's really nice that, like I said, I don't want to say RAB are small, because as a company, absolutely not, RAB's a big company doing really good things, but at the same time, you know, I, I had a meeting, uh, back last year, and it was to do with small countries doing progressive stuff, and it really kind of embedded in my mind how quick, like actually a country like Wales or Scotland or Iceland, with relatively few people, but uh, a progressive government, can start to like put in changes quickly, um, and then the bigger uh, countries of the world. Obama famously said that is driving the US is like trying to drive an, an oil tanker um largely because they make a, they use a lot of oil but also because <laughs> it's difficult to like move a country of that size in any which way so i would hope and i i'm sure you would hope that the bigger players in like adjacent lanes to you fashion in quotes and apparel in quotes and stuff would take on something like this that's got to be the end game right that that everyone starts thinking about where their products come from that a brand that makes T-shirts in a factory across the other side of the world knows what the the human rights are in that factory, where the energy comes from, are they polluting the environment to a massive scale? All these things. It doesn't seem it doesn't seem too much to ask that if you make a T-shirt, that you know where that the materials comes from and you know what the 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 working conditions are like in that factory.
1: Yeah, I think it goes back to. Um One of the things the outdoor industry does really well is building products that are fit for purpose. So we are making products that are designed for performance and technical features, but they're also designed for longevity. And going back to the um, RAB service centre, our products can be cared for, can be repaired for. Yes, they're more expensive than probably something that looks similar on the high street. But the benefit we have is we can tell you where those fabrics have come from. Um, where it was manufactured. We can talk about the social standards in that factory. Um, And actually, if you um, get a spark that ignites one of the baffles on your sleeve while you're sort of cooking out one evening, we can also repair that product. So it might have looked like a, you know, more challenging in price when you first bought it. But 10 years later, when it's been repaired three times and it's been through a wash and actually it's still performing as well as the first day you had it, that's when you get true value for money. And I think that's something which consumers are starting to ask for and starting to expect. But I think it's um, it's going to be a while before everyone is on that same page. But actually, I think as an outdoor industry, we're certainly doing our bit to drive that message in.
0: And I know Rab are part of lots of different uh, organizations and consortiums. Fairware is, is, has always been a good standard within the industry. Um, the microfiber consortium to know where uh, how much microfiber is coming off different things. Is that what you'd like to see uh, material uh, facts is that that it's, it's no longer like a rab thing, but it's like a, a, an industry thing.
1: Yeah. I I think the microfiber consortium is a great example because that was born of the outdoor industry. Um, and then almost now operates as a standalone organization with, um, fashion brands, household brands, high street brands, all now members of the microfiber consortium but it started from the outdoor industry pulling it together. So I, for me, that's the model that we ought to be looking at is how do we as brands influence this and turn it into something which becomes standalone. This isn't about RAB. This is about how do we as an industry communicate more effectively to consumers in the same way that the microfiber consortium has done its work to really try and research and understand microfibers and fiber fragmentation in a way that nobody else wanted to champion at the time.
0: Wonderful. Well, it's, we talk for, for absolutely hours and uh, I'm sure we will at one of the trade shows. But uh, Debbie Reid, uh, Head of Corporate Communications and CSR at Equip. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Hugh. It's always great to chat. Take care.